My name is Stephen King. You're not thinking about going down in there. Welcome to Filmstrip and our views of selected works of Stephen King featuring Nick. We're like shrimp and then all you can eat salad bar and that thing ain't stopping till it's full. And Jay. Just ain't no job with this. These podcasts will be spoiler filled and contain in-depth discussions of the plots, characters, and themes. That might be the understatement of the year. All content used or discussed in this podcast is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17. I'm going to scare the hell out of you. Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay. And I'm Nick. And welcome back to our Selective Works of Stephen King retrospective and our review of Graveyard Shift, starring David Andrews, Kelly Wolf, Stephen Mock, and Brad Dourif. Directed by Ralph S. Singleton, released in December of 1990 on a budget of $10.5 million, it grossed $11.5 million at the box office. So, you know, the thing about this one, Nick, I've never seen this before. I thought I had, but for some reason I confused this with The Mangler. Um, have you seen it, or have you read the uh, short story it's based on? Uh, I've seen it and read the short story. Uh, read the short story a few years ago. I happened to see this in the early 90s. Um, I don't know if you remember back when uh, grocery stores used to have their uh, rental section for yes. and stuff. Uh, our uh, local pick-and-save uh, had one. And uh, I remember me and my dad picking this up like right when it came out on VHS and watching it that night. And... I don't remember much of it. I just remember a few scenes with like a big giant rat thing and a guy getting his arm bit off in a cave and that was about it. Yeah, I had no connection to this whatsoever. Like I said, I did happen to listen to the audio version of the Graveyard Shift short story. It's actually on YouTube in three parts. You can just listen to some, uh, you know, I read it or whatever. It's it's pretty good. Uh, The story I'll say is pretty neat. And I'm going to say this now. I can't think of a time when a short story from Stephen King was adapted to a full-length feature and it worked as a full-length feature. There's a reason short stories have a hard time you know, being embellished to the full 80-minute runtime, and this is a typical example of that. There, there's a lot in this film that just seems to be there to hold time and waste time. Because the story is pretty straightforward, but this film is anything but that. Oh, definitely. I mean, it's very weird how the story kind of progresses throughout the whole thing. I mean, I'm sure we'll get into it in a little bit, but part that kind of struck me was just like, just how a lot of Stephen King movies, at least you have someone recognizable in the movie itself, like, you know, like, any movie that he does, at least you have someone. I mean, you watch like The Stand, and you know, like Gary Sinise is in it, or you watch uh, even like The Langoliers, and you got the guy from The Green Mile in there. I forget what his name is right now, but uh, this movie had like nobody I could recognize in it at all, except for the foreman who we were talking about. Kind of reminds us of Fred Ward from uh, Tremors. <laughs> Except for with the accent. <laughs> That's funny you mentioned that because I recognize two of these people. David Andrews, I always associate with his turn as the general in uh, Terminator 3 that set Skynet into the internet or whatever. But he's been in a lot of stuff. He's a character actor. He's been around for years, done a lot of stuff. And 
man, Brad Dourif, the voice of Chucky. Oh, that's but, right. But, but, I forgot but, about Brad Dourif. And many other crazy things that he's done. But before that, he was actually a dramatic actor. If you've ever seen Heaven's Gate, I mean, he's like a big role in that. So, I mean, Brad Dourif is one of those. I always recognize that face. You can't not recognize it. I think if you've seen it and the voice, too. So, But I'm with you. Usually you see bigger stars and nothing against these people in their acting careers. But none of these people are, you know, leading the charge for top grossing a-listers you know these are character actors that you throw in a story and that can work on some level if the story can sustain them you know i guess we can talk about whether or not this one does but before we get any further into it why don't we do a plot summary will you please when an abandoned textile mill is reopened several employees meet mysterious deaths the link between the killings all occur between the hours of 11 p.m and 7 a.m the graveyard shift Warwick, the sadistic mill foreman, has chosen uh, the newly hired drifter, John Hall, to help a group clean up the mill's rat-infested basement. The workers find a subterranean maze of tunnels leading to the cemetery and an unimaginable horror that comes alive in the dead of night. John and his group discovered a giant rat, which proceeds to pick off the group one by one. The monster rat gets his tail caught in an industrial machine. John turns it on, and the creature is dragged. Into the sl- into the machine and slaughtered. The end. <laughs> yeah, that's that's about as simple as you can sum it up. And I wish yeah. this film was that concise. <laughs> but we get a lot of time of Brad Dourif as the exterminator talking about killing rats like they're from Vietnam, and a lot of John Hall and one of his sweaty coworkers semi romancing one another, and a whole lot of that foreman being like the dick boss of all time. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the first, like, almost, like, 45 minutes of this movie, I mean, you get a couple, like, you know, off-screen kills in here, but it's, like, it's very poor character development. I mean, I see what they're trying to do, where, you know, you get to meet this guy named John Hall, and, you know, he's a college boy, and they're trying to kind of set up, like, a little semi, like, relationship between him and the female uh, worker there, and... They're kind of showing you the foreman and just how big of a dick he is and just how he kind of treats everybody like crap and everything. But it's just – that's not what we're here for. We're here to see like some big giant rat kill these people, and it really doesn't even get going until probably, I don't know, a half hour left in the movie. Oh, I mean it's a total tease. The opening scene is the guy running the the picker, which if you've never been in the cotton gin, is this – it's like got these rows of teeth that sort of pick apart the big rows of cotton and stretch them out. It's how they turn it into – I thought that was a good idea for a machine. I mean, you look at that thing and it's like, it's really, I mean, that thing is a death trap. Oh, yeah. And I I will say, having grown up in an area where we had a lot of textile mills, that's a greatly exaggerated version of what one of them can do. But it is indeed a danger to your hands. You get it too close and you're not paying attention. But this guy is like, I wrote down in my notes, this is like the serial murdering school teacher in training. Because he picks up this, like these rats gather to watch him do his job. And it's like an episode of The Muppets. Or Fraggle Rock, where they're all sort of watching from the balcony, and he picks up one of them and throws it in the machine and said, thus ends today's lesson. Oh, we need another? And he picks up another one, only to be attacked by something off screen. And I'm like, wow, that's like something straight out of the opening from Tales from the Crypt. I mean, how could you 
not expect some guy to even become <laughs> kind of like crazy working in that thing. I mean, how many freaking rats were in that room? I mean, oh. there was hundreds and hundreds of rats. I mean, just think of the disease and the filth that's down in there. It's like, man. shit, man, I'd probably be a pissed off psycho, too, if I had to work in that condition. Well, you know, I wrote in here later that they talk about the rat infestation problem. And I don't really know if this movie is that people are working where rats have infested or that the rats are infested by people who seem to be getting in the building that they own. Because the rats outnumber the people in this cast by at least six to one and i mean i'm talking about like big rats too these are they got some huge stunt rats for, for this film i mean these are big rats oh definitely i mean even like when we're talking about like the first scene where he's throwing them in there when they see him like all on the ledge all kind of watching them i mean that's almost like it's pretty freaky when you see them all so they're all just lined up perfectly i kind of wonder how they actually did that oh man you know hollywood animal stunt wranglers are are amazing with what they can do that's i i was thinking to myself i'm like man that's where most of the budget had to go was whoever the heck did that these are like the rats needed names and should have been credited you know there's the lead rat and then there was the big greasy monster rat bat thing which we're going to talk about is that a rat or is that a bat later but yeah, all this other stuff too. It, it, it's all it, that that whole setup is creepy. I think the thing is, is like there's an element of creepy here that could work. And you said it. You know, imagine how nasty it would be to work in a place like that. I can like imagine if I saw or found a a rat in my office now. Like the amount of freakout that would go on around my coworkers and probably me too would be like, oh man, everything I've got, gotta like move it out of here. You know, torch the place to the ground. You know, that's that's how we tend to react. I can't imagine where there's like thousands of them seemingly everywhere. But you know what? It's the quietest place in the world. If there's anything I know about rats, they are not quiet animals. I mean, they, they step around and they're squeaking all the time. Like, I don't know how these people could take a step without hitting a rat in that textile mill. Yeah, I mean, they're just they're everywhere, man. It's insane. It's very, very weird. But the opening this whole thing right after that, though, I'm like, man, this does feel like a cheap tv movie too doesn't it i mean they've got this set and it's sort of through this dilapidated graveyard which is like an extra thrown away part of the pet cemetery set and i'm it's just really like they've got the music and all this stuff and i'm going man whatever mood they're trying to create here is not working i actually had to pause the movie at this point because i was like who is this director what else has he done and the answer to that is nothing the guy never directed anything else he's been like a part of crews on televisions and and on television shows and and movies uh sets for years still works today set production and all that kind of stuff but his directorial debut for films is this one and he de- he directed some episodes of Cagney and Lacey in the 1980s, if you remember that. <laughs> but other than that, he is like the second unit director on stuff like, you know, I don't know, Network and Taxi Driver and, you know, the Death Wish. That's kind of what he did. And then he's, you know, production manager. He is not a director. And you can tell this feels like it's in the hands of somebody that they got for cheap because the, the only money they looked like they were willing to spend here was on the rats. Yeah, I mean, what was the budget? Ten point five million dollars. Exactly, mean, which is I mean, in, anything. in 1989, 1990, that's pretty cheap. I mean, that even for a horror film, that is dirt cheap. And I'm sure they thought, like every other horror film, we can put fifteen million dollars in this, we'll get fifty out of it. No, they didn't even make money off this. They made eleven and a half million on this. That means they lost money. I mean, there's no way this, this thing was a clunker all the way. And I'm <laughs> sure a lot of people like you who rented it were quickly ready to just bring it right on back because <laughs> it's just nothing here. But we meet our 
I guess he's our lead character, John Hall, David Andrews here, who, I mean, I'm going like, I get this whole David Banner, Incredible Hulk thing going off of him, don't you? Oh, yeah, definitely. Just kind of wandering from town to town, just the guy who's down on his luck, but he's just, he means really well in everything he does. Well, I Not mean, a bad bone in his body. Well, well, I mean, but every look he gives those like locals who are just picking on him merci- unmercifully, he he gives them that look like you don't you won't like me when I'm angry. <laughs> you know? I'm like, what? Who is this guy? I needed a little bit more on him than his wife had passed, and he was a college boy and was just sort of thumbing his way across America. And he got from to he got to Maine from West Virginia. That's a heck of a hike. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, I don't even – you meet him, and it's like he almost has like a Tom Berenger look to him, doesn't he? Oh, like a poor man's Tom Berenger, which is saying yeah. something. But yes, yeah. Yeah. Then he gets the job there and stuff like that, and like right away, of course, like he's got the coworkers who don't like him, who don't get along with him. And, you know, the probably one of the grossest scenes actually in the whole movie, probably the grossest scene for me, was when he's sitting down at the restaurant, and those guys give him a plate – and it's like a hamburger bun with a dead rat on it. I was like, yeah. that was just freaking really gross. Yeah, they served him the dead rat. One of the, one of the, um, I dare call them rednecks because I didn't know that you could have rednecks in Maine, but I suppose you can. I'm from the south. I mean, I know rednecks, but this was definitely like Arkansas stereotypes that yeah. were, were thrown into this. But one of them, I don't know if you recognize him or not, the Wishmaster himself. Andrew Divoff is one of the uh, the long haired mullet one, is uh, one of the the bad coworkers. But yeah, they serve him up a rat. But the one the one that you really pay attention to is the foreman. I mean, you called him. He looked kind of like Fred Ward, but he was doing the voice of Fred Gwynn from Pet Cemetery, which has been parodied in everything from South Park to you know whatever else. They don't want to go up there. That's where the ground saw. He's doing that. A really affected Maine accent, and I, I didn't get this dead. guy. What what movie was this guy in? Because I don't think he was in the same one everyone else was in. Yeah, his character is like I don't know. It's just it's a really really weird aspect in an already really weird movie. It's like you know, it's like over the top cartoonish evil with this guy in some ways, and it's like. You described it perfectly. He's like the perfect boss from hell, you know, and it's <laughs> everything he does. I mean, he's got like a female, he hits females. He's, you know, terrible, you know, he's laying off people, you know, making them work in harsh conditions. And he's always like walking around and coming up to you at the worst possible times. I mean, perfect caricature of like the worst boss ever, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, he's just a dick, I guess. <laughs> well, he's got the one woman that like apparently is his girlfriend that he does ultimately lay off and he's got the other woman that works in the building that's like the i called her the sweaty woman because she's and always wearing half shirts and mom jeans which was really weird and he's hitting on her and i i don't know what his game is like i don't i don't get this guy at all like he just i don't know it was a strange portrayal i guess he's supposed to be the jerk boss from hell that everybody has at some point or the the kind of sweatshop runner that you would think of for this but in the end of the movie, he goes like Rambo <laughs> down in that sewer. So I don't, I don't get what movie he thought he was in. I still don't even know what his motivations are. You know, it's like, as you said, like later he goes Rambo. It's just like, why? It's like he, oh, he's down in this thing and like all of a sudden he starts going crazy and attacking everybody. And it's like, why? You know, I, we understand that he's kind of a dick and stuff like that, but... I don't know. Did you feel like he kind of knew what was going on with all the stuff, like with all the people getting killed? 
that he had somewhat of an idea that there was something down there. That he was hiding it? You know, yeah, because... I mean, people are going missing. People are going missing at this mill. Like, someone goes down there and gets torn apart, and then they just put like, a, oh, we're going to hire a new person to do it. There's no investigation as to what happened to these people. Well, the first thing is you've got the, the health inspector down there, and he slips him a couple hundred bucks to, we'll get it done by the end of the 4th of July, you know, and that sends that guy away. And then, yeah, I'm like, all the bodies or parts of bodies that are piling up here, he either knows or he just doesn't want to be bothered with it. It's all about getting out the next run of towels or whatever in the hell they're producing there. I don't know. I mean, it, it would have made more sense if like he had dropped some line in that last 30 minutes where actually, you know, they get into the basement and get into the catacombs and are chasing the thing or, or running from it, whatever you want to look at. And he said like, I knew she was down here all along, you know, or something like that. Don't touch no. my, don't touch my pet. Like it was his little pet rancor or something. Maybe that would have worked, but as it is, I mean, he, he stabs a woman, he beats the crap out of the lead guy, then he goes after the rat bat thing with a knife and he gets eaten. I mean, that's kind of it. Yeah, it would have made more sense maybe like cuz you see like his girlfriend get killed by the thing, you know, halfway through the movie cuz right. Obviously she has the worst balance in the world as she goes walking down the stairs, she falls. And <laughs> you think it okay, maybe like, you know, that could have been like some type of motivation like he walked down there and like found like her necklace or something like that in blood and he kind of figured he kind of put two and two together and that's what kind of drove him insane but nah you don't get any of that it's just oh i think he was yeah, already insane yeah he was already insane but he just like also and just goes bat nuts insane for i don't know no reason for, for, <laughs> well because like, he read the script and this was the point where he was supposed to i mean really that it was that's the thing is this movie is populated with crazy people all right, yeah. except for the the lead. Like David Andrews' character Hall is the most normal one. All he's doing is hitching through town, making a few bucks, moving to the next one. Maybe he's on his way to Canada. I don't know. But uh, you know, he's he's working his way up and he seems to be the only one that's remotely put together. Everybody else is crazy. We already talked about the co-workers that tried to, you know, feed uh, him the rat. So they you know, they got their problems, right? You've got Kelly Wolf who plays uh, Jane, the sweaty woman, who is hitting on him. She met him like four hours ago at the beginning of the shift, right? But the way she talks with the foreman, it's like they've gone down that road before. Did you get that feeling? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I mean, it's like they've done that. So she's, you know, clearly she's pretty loose morals. You've got the other guys running around there. You've got the, the I hate to say it, the token black guy. To come in there and get killed later in the thing because he's just looking for work. Hey, he wasn't he wasn't the guy from uh, Saved by the Bell, was he? The, uh, the janitor. I don't know if that was him or not, but he's there for you know a few minutes, and then you have the crazy foreman. You have the crazy guy at the beginning, like we talked about. You have the secretary who goes in and like, what does she do? She does some industrial espionage. Like she finds some uh, some paperwork or something that shows that. It, He's not running the shop on the up and up, and so that's and then she gets killed by the rat. Yeah, that's the other thing too. I'm like, is the rat looking out for him? Yeah, they seem to be working in concert with one another. Yeah, why was she even in there? What was she doing? Like, was she trying to get back at him? Like, well, oh, she had been fired, and so she got some paperwork out to see what. You know, I guess she was going to dig up dirt on him and report it to who? Who the hell's in this town? There's nobody there except the twelve people we meet. Yeah, I'm Brad Dourif. <laughs> Well, yeah, let's let's talk it. about I, him. Okay. I mean, they could. I mean, we could do. A, you could do a little bit of a rewrite of this movie. Actually, make it a, a lot better by you know, 
them like covering up these, you know, deaths and stuff and that, you know, she finds out and then he fires her because of it and then she's going to expose it all. And it's like they totally skip over like the pretty logical steps this movie could take. Well, you know, to make itself, you know, more plausible or whatever. I mean, I, I don't know. It's well, it just seems like a lot of stuff in there. Just there's like these half like they're leading up to something. And then there was like, eh, let's just do the next part. You know, well, it is very, I, I guess, paint by numbers is how it feels. I mean, it, it feels like someone who's worked who has worked a lot on television is directing what could be a television episode, but it's too long. It's, there's stretches of just people sitting around staring at each other and looking at each other. And we, we, we got to talk about it now. The, like the craziest person in here by far is Brad Dourif. Tucker, the, the, I call him the executioner. He's the exterminator, right? He's doing everything from like gas in the rats to sucking them out through a hose and dumping them in the river. I'm sure that's, you know, good. I, I mean, he's going down there to investigate and he essentially gets blackmailed into going into the basement for sacrifice because the foreman says, I know you suck those rats up through the hose. That'll get your license suspended, but go take care of this for me and we'll take care of all of it. And at that point, I started to wonder. Is the foreman, like, did he raise this rat bat from Satan and this is the sacrifice he must bring it every day or what? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like the movie has, like, kind of, like, all these, like, half-formed ideas that it never pays off. Like, what was the whole purpose of Brad Dourif's character? There's absolutely no purpose to his character at all in the movie. Oh, he gets he gets that weird monologue about being in Vietnam. and Which I actually I thought that was pretty good. Did. Well, that I was the best. Were... I'm going to tell you, he's by far the best actor in this thing. Brad Dourif is a really good actor. He just chooses to be in a lot of shit. But, but that's, I mean, he can act and he really can bring the weird and greasy and crazy. And I thought that was the best bit, the Vietnam bit. But then after that, I mean, I'm with you. What other purpose does he serve except to have a body count? Because this, this film does fall into the horror movie trope of like every 15 minutes, they got to kill somebody. Did he even get killed by the rat though? He just slipped in the, uh, the gravestone. Hit oh, it, it looked like the rat pushed the gravestone into his head. See, I didn't get that at all. I thought he just kind of like the thing was kind of falling apart and he stepped on the wrong thing and also like something just shifted in and smashed his head. Well, that's really unsatisfying. I mean, <laughs> I mean, you yeah, that's what I'm right. saying. I was watching. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I thought, you know, the rat exterminator. Well, he's definitely got to have a big fight with them or something. You know, it's got to be some major showdown. I mean, the Nats, the rat's national natural enemy has to be the exterminator. And to me, it's just like nothing happened. It's just like, oh, you're going to go in there and going to go work for me. And then he goes in there and he dies. And it's like, well, what was the point of sending him into that cemetery area? You, you have nothing to do with the cemetery area. I mean, I understand it's on the same compound for whatever reason. Worst place to build a freaking factory, by the yeah, way. But well, uh, Let's talk about that. Okay. Why is there always a graveyard like, you know, miles beneath the earth? that they've tunneled into and they discover all these loose graves and stuff. It's like the rat has built this from dust till dawn cave underneath that textile mill. Oh, it's probably one of the most amazing compounds ever. I mean, you look at this textile thing, you think, okay, it's a couple floors. And then you got like this basement where, with the, where the first scene happens, but no, there's something underneath that. So, and that's what they have to go clean up. It's like, this it sounds like someone bought this textile mill and we're trying to like you know get it off completely operational again, and we're like, okay, well we got to clean up the 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 sub basement. Well, not only is there a sub basement, there's a sub sub basement, <laughs> and then beneath the sub sub basement is it's, like the river. Yeah, there's, and there's then underneath, a, it, 
And then, like, the sub-sub-basement actually goes beneath the river with, like, how everything just, like, it's like a big tunnel operation down there. It's like, I don't know, it's something like, I don't know, like the stonemasons make this or something? I don't know. It's like, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm waiting for Tom Hanks to jump out of the side and start you know, uh, describing the hieroglyphs at, at one point or another. I mean, it's really cavernous. And again, that's why I say that's like a whole different movie because we learn all that in the last 20 minutes. This movie is the first 10 minutes of it with the setup, and it could be the when they take them in the basement. And that's all you really need because I want to tell you – Everything that happens after Brad Dourif dies, I was bored. I was bored out of my mind watching this. I was like, let's, I mean, I wrote it in my notes several times. Can we just get on with it? Come on, let's go. You know, this is, you know, let's get to it. There's way too many scenes of people with fire hoses, spraying them at rats and going crazy with that and lectures from the foreman. And I, it was, it was really strange, man. The pacing of this movie sucked. Yeah, it's all over the place, but I want to get even more with the caverns. I mean, I'm just thinking about even more right now. This is like a little town in Maine, (laughs) and it's just got this huge... Who the hell made this thing, and how didn't anybody know about that? Right, and yeah, like nobody how, how noticed. Could nobody know. Like no one noticed the shifting foundation underneath all the graves. Like, I mean, that somebody... is freaking impressive. I mean, if that if you actually like really think about it, just like you know, think about the whole how that is laid out. That is one hell of an impressive complex. I mean, I don't know. I mean, well, it's just like that's the part that just gets me, and then it all connects to the uh, back to the cemetery. It's like wow, this is well, a pretty cool complex, and they only only were using two floors. That is. I don't know, is the government using that thing? They're not getting their most value out of it. <laughs> well, the thing is, is like we said, like I don't understand what the rats game is. Is it just trying to feed and survive? And where did it come from? And uh, I, maybe I don't need its origin story, but a little bit of explanation would have helped. Like something, we get none of that. There's no answers. That's the problem. It's, it's just these big sets and these grand map paintings and then nothing else because they don't, they don't know anything else. It's I, I don't know. It feels really half baked, and that's I uh, could be a review for the whole thing right there. This is a real half baked idea. Yeah, I mean they could expand it on so much more of this stuff. I mean, as we were talking, like with the girl, you know, the girlfriend with the whole trying to figure out what's happening to people, to the foreman and the giant rat itself, to even this complex. I mean, they could have really expanded on some stuff. I mean, even though they're walking around the complex and going into these rooms, it's like, there's some interesting stuff in there. It's kind of like, you know, I don't know. It's just, to me, it just seems like everybody's like, this seems like it would be really cool to have in here, but let's just not explain anything or show anything or just, we're just going to have in here because it's like cool looking. It's it's, it's, uh, horrific images for the sake of having them, but with no explanations to how they got there. And it's it's is What it is. Yeah completely distracting because the whole time when i'm watching it i'm just wondering i'm like when is this tunnel gonna end it's like almost like out of the video game doom or something it's just like (laughs) it keeps on going and going and going it's like it's a hell of a complex well yeah it it goes it goes to nowhere though that's the problem because that this is the the tunnel to nowhere until it finally it's time to end the thing you know and 
let's talk about as they get on down into it. They finally all get hired. It's, I mean, the whole movie is the setup of the forum and picking out people to work this uh, extra double overtime secret probation graveyard shift to clean this thing out before the end of the 4th of July or whatever. But it's the, the only characters we've met in the whole movie are the ones doing it. So it's no surprise as to who's going. And then when they finally all get down in there, then we start doing the slasher movie pickoff. You know, one by one, they all get killed by the giant rat bat creature thing. And let's just let me ask you that now. Like, how did that work for you? The fact that they never got really attacked as a group. They all seemed to get separated and then something bad would happen to one of them and the rest of them would come back and go, where'd Charlie go? Is there only one of these giant rats? Because to me, it's like, yeah, they're all getting picked off one by one. But this thing is everywhere at every, every it's everywhere at every time. You know, it's just like. Wherever it needs to be to pick off one of them is there. And it's like, this thing must have like magical teleporting powers. It can even appear behind a wall. I mean, <laughs> well, I want to talk that, that scene too. It's like when we get like those guys running around the caves and like the guy and the girl get split up from the foreman, the two other guys, the one, uh, the, the black guy is all like, well, hey, I think I found out the, the river. Let me, you know, I, I got a good idea about this. And he, they climb up like this, like little like slope in the caves and he's like, oh, there's a hole. I'm going to put my arm into the hole. Why would you put your arm into that hole? There's, there's no reason to put your arm into a hole. It's, it's nothing. It's stupid. And it's like, oh, of course it's behind there. And it bites off his arm. Well, and, and, then besides, also, and besides that point, at that point, we had already seen the guy open up the antique desk and there's billions of rats that come out of there. Obviously, yeah. that's what's going to be behind there at the very least. Almost every little thing that, you know, there's no surprises in the movie at all. It's like when they open up the desk, there's rats there. They go down into the, you know, the cellar and the guy falls. You knew the guy was going to fall through the stairs and go into the water. Of, of course. course, the rats, of course, the rats in the water. Right. The, well, the, like we see its feet sort of slink off into the water and then it eats him. And let's just settle this now, okay? Because we're talking about it. I've called it both. Is it a bat or is it a rat? It's got to be a rat because it has a tail. But it's got wings and hooks and fangs. And it's got a tail. <laughs> and it's got a tail. Uh, it, is, it is the weirdest creature ever. Oh, I mean, maybe a rat bred with a, a, a bat and that's its offspring. Well, I mean, oh. in that way, I've heard people call bats rats with wings sometimes. So, I mean, I think they're, they're in the same family at least. But I, I don't know. It was, I mean, in the story, it's really clear. This is, it's like a blind, can't walk thing that does nothing but breed other rats. It's like the queen alien or something yeah. underneath, the, underneath the thing, which is even scarier. But, you know, all the rats, it, it breeds these, like, attack rats as part of its stuff. But, you know, there's only – I think there's only one of them. I really do. It's the same one in every shot. They just reveal more and more of it as they go, which, by the way, you know, puppet effects or whatever they are, but that looked bad. <laughs> you have to admit, that looked like it had been smeared with, like, the cheap brand of KY Jelly to give it that greasy look. Yeah, it seems like when they did the whole model work for this thing, it just like probably didn't end up looking that good on its first run. So they just kept on adding more and more latex to it until you couldn't. It's like just a big blob of flesh. It's yeah, like, yeah that, that's good enough. Yeah, it has <laughs> no, a couple it, claws. It has no hair on it. It's all skinless. It's, it's just creepy. It's like it's supposed to be ick. I think that's the thing. This is the ick factor, right? That's what we want. But I'm not really getting it. I mean, again, it's the the pickoff is happening, but it, everybody that's getting killed is getting killed because they're doing something stupid. You know, like they yeah. they all seem to be making really bad choices. Well, the first guy, he what did he do? He ran up the stairs because why? Because he had spiders on him. 
Something like that, yeah. Yeah, and then he... Okay. You're, you're dealing with thousands of rats. Spiders wouldn't bug me at that point. <laughs> I think at that point, if you'd been in that kind of sweltering heat for that long, and I don't know, I guess if you're unbalanced, this is what happens, but that's what happens to him. And then, the, like we said, the token guy, uh, African-American, sticks his arm through a hole and gets it bit off, so no surprise. Then uh, Wishmaster is curled up over to the side freaking out, and he lights a match or a, lights his lighter to light a cigarette or something, and then all of a sudden there's the face of the bat, rat, and it eats him and swallows him whole. That looked like a scene out of Anaconda, by the way, which is many years later, but was is twice as funny as this movie. Now, wouldn't it have been better at this point where maybe like the foreman like kind of runs at the rat and maybe the rat like kind of like cuts him or something like that and like maybe they could like say like his whole madness later in the movie was caused maybe he got like rabies or something from this thing and he went insane. Yeah. Because it's like all suddenly like he was like trying to escape and he's trying to help the guys he was with, you know? Not a, there wasn't a point where he was just like, oh, I'm going to kill these guys because I'm just a crazy son of a bitch. It was just, he was try, actually trying to escape with these guys. And then after the one guy, uh, the Wishmaster guy got killed, and then he falls. <laughs> and probably one of the most hilarious things I've ever seen with him falling down the cat, falling down that chute. Because <laughs> it's like the whole thing, he's like just falling head first. Like, oh, and then he just buries himself in some bones. But he decides that he's going to go insane when... We get the two main characters. You get uh, Jane, Jane yeah. and Jane and John get yeah, down there. Yeah, Jane and, and John save him. They well, like pull him out of there, and he's like, "Oh, now I'm bad." Well, here's because. here's the thing. Like he's been pissed off at John anyway because Jane picked up John, you know, on the road after he'd hit on her one day, and he's like, "Uh oh." And we get the implied bit that they spent, you know, a nice night together or whatever, and that they're now a thing, right? You know, because later on. John is telling her we're going to make it out of here and they embrace and this big kiss and I'm like but this is there's no sexual tension between you two like this is no, not working you know but because I'm, I'm gonna you totally want to kiss somebody after you get done swimming in a water full of blood you know it's and, like, yeah, oh, and, and no telling what else from the rats right but you got that and then but it's like the foreman becomes the the angry ex-boyfriend or jealous ex-husband at that point and he like punches her in the stomach like hard like and he punches you know uh, John so many times and like make these sounds like he's breaking his ribs and I'm like man this guy is this guy is insane he's just I'll, I'll give him a little bit of credit here though I actually the fight scene is actually not that bad no it's because, a decent fight yeah I mean it's like a lot of times in these movies you can tell like they're swinging at air and they're just adding that uh, sound effect and it looked like you know whoever they had in there is you know whether these people are doing their own stunts or not they're getting punched I mean you can kind of tell especially her when she got hit in the stomach like you can actually feel that pretty good when she got slugged and you know like I, I even like the two and the one guy's on the ground and the other guy like jumps at him from the top of the bones and he kind of like catches him and throws him into the uh those caskets I mean it was it was pretty very, decent fight scene. it was very backstage at a WWE fight like I, I felt like the the choreography there was good I'm with you it was a good fight and yeah. what I Picking love is, is that the, they do twist one thing. This is the smartest thing the movie does. The woman comes over behind to clock the dude on the back of the head with the top of a casket, which in every other movie would what? Would knock him out and then they would run away. But all it does is piss him off and he turns around and like hits her Rambo style in the stomach with his knife and essentially guts her <laughs> right there on the screen. You talk about brutal. Yeah, and then I, I probably the most normal thing you'd see in a movie like, you know, like I guess... In, in a situation like that, she probably would have knocked him out. Yeah. And they would have got up and ran away, and then he would have been left there for the monster, and then, you know, they would have had it out, or he would have woke up and, like, 
also one of the things there and killed him. But no, the, yeah, cheap, the cheap way is they would have got out, lit the place on fire, and the monster and he would have died together down there, and they they would have embraced and walked off into the sunset together. Well, of course, oh, with the with yeah. the monster emerging from the fire at the end for one last showdown. Exactly for Graveyard Shift Two, the Reckoning. But <laughs> but that's not what happens. They actually did go smart with it. Yeah, and that was probably what would happen. You know, you get someone attacking someone with a knife, someone comes up from behind them. They're going to get stabbed, and that's well, if exactly you, if what you get. Does. I mean, it's a known thing. If you get stabbed in the stomach, you're screwed. I mean, there's. It's very hard to close a wound in the stomach. Like it, that is nearly lethal on, on all levels. So, I mean, I, I applaud the film again for having the gumption to take out a, a main character that we were, I guess you could say, rooting for at this point. And or at least interested in and somewhat invested in as much as you can be in a movie like this, and then it's and then it's a showdown between the two guys. And I love how you know he runs off, and we forgot about the part where like before they go down in there, he picks up this bottle of whiskey or whatever, and he's rubbing like the black soot all over his face. And I'm like, was he apocalypse now? You know, at this point, I mean, he's going nuts, and uh, but now. Uh, John chases him with like a huge leg bone. <laughs> He's beating to death with the big bone, you know. And and it, but of course, before he can get there, he finds the bat rat hanging from the rafters. And I love the lies of "We're going to hell together." And then the rat, of course, is like, "No, I think I'll just take you there myself." And he just devours him. It's like, uh, have you ever seen the movie Beastmaster? No. Oh, you well. Someday we'll get there. There are these creatures that sort of they they surround you with their their fleshy wings, and then when they drop you out, you're nothing but you know bones. And that's exactly what that looked like. It looked like something right out of the Beastmaster. Uh, really cheesy. Okay, you got a knife though, and you got this thing hanging there. Probably the stupidest place to stab it would be the wing. Yeah, which is where he stabs it. Why wouldn't you go for the stomach or the heart or the neck? Unless he just wanted to die at that point, maybe he's so crazy he doesn't know the difference. Just like it's it's just a random turn. Turn. It's the guy. He had no death wish before this scene. You know, he wanted to kill it, and now he's like, "Oh, we're gonna die together." And it's like, "Oh, why? You know, why do you want to die? You know, again, it would make more. It make more sense if that you know his girlfriend or whatever." Maybe he felt bad that she died, and this is like he wanted to get him back, and this was kind of his whole way was that, hey, I'm going to get all these people together. I'm not going to tell them about this thing, but we're going to go down there and kill this thing, you know? And, well, and maybe it would, none, none of that's ever shown or said. it would have worked at the end, too, if the, after the woman hits him over the head, if the bat swung down and, like, you know, chomped her and flew her away, and he's like, oh, hell no, I'm going after her. You know, and that, I mean, that would have made sense, but he killed her, so that can't be his reason for going and trying to take out the bat now. You know, like, that's that's nuts. But, of course, our hero, John, sees this, and he finally gets back up to the main floor, and he thinks, ah, I'm okay. And, like, through the wall, as if by... Why did he follow him? I got it. We got to go. <laughs> yeah. Why did he follow him? Okay, the girl's dead. Mm-hmm. He can kind of tell that he's kind of found a way out, or at least a good chance of finding a way out. The guy who just tried to kill him is now going after the big giant rat that was trying to kill him. Why would you follow him? 
I, because he had that bone in his hand and he was he wanted revenge of his own. I don't know. I'm with you. I'm like, man, there's the hole right there. Go put your thumb out, grab the yeah. first trucker out of town, and get the hell out of here. Yeah, you got to pull. You got to pull a Cartman right now. It's yeah. like, no, screw you guys. Because I'm going, I'm home. going home. Exactly. You know, out of there. But no, he follows him in there, and then of course he's seeing the rat eat the guy, and then he just stands there, just he's like looking at him, and it's like. Dude, there's there's no possible good outcome for you just sitting there watching. And of course, the rat kind of realizes he was there as he runs away. Well, see, that's what I was gonna say. The rat then crashes through the wall where the big picker machine is, as if it was pushed on a cart because it doesn't look like it's moving on its own. It's definitely got help. It's yeah. a terrible effect. Well, of course, of course, this whole cavern and caves and everything it all leads up to the first scene in the movie where you know this giant picker is located there. Of course, it's where he works. Yeah, and it, it ends where it begins, the final showdown. Like, you knew... I mean, thank God no one ever moved that bag that was covering that <laughs> hole the whole time they were working there. And then Yeah, at least at least he had a way to get back in it. That was the point. But the rat shows up, and it's crawling after him, and what has to be the longest scene? Here's the thing, though. They set this up early on that, the, that John likes to shoot... Diet Pepsi cans, worst product placement ever, by the way. Diet Pepsi cans out of a slingshot to scare the rats away. See, if this would have been early 90s, this should have been diet right. <laughs> something, yeah, tab, you know, Pepsi free. But, you know, something, uh, maybe, a, maybe a Shasta uh, where, the, where this plant was. But the rat is crawling across the, and the rat gets its tail caught in the end of it, and he sees it's caught, so he picks up the Diet Pepsi can, fires it at the on switch, and then like, takes 20 minutes for that can to fly in slow motion. <laughs> That's just how it goes. It goes, can, flying, slow motion his face looking, Rat. over to the rat <laughs> screaming, back to the soda can flying, back to his face, to a rat. Tail free. To the giant, to the giant rat. To its tail coming free, back to the soda can hitting the switch, and somehow even though the tech guy, the the rat bat uh, got its uh looks it's called brat uh, the brat got its uh <laughs> got, got 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 its tail free from it when he hits the switch the tail automatically goes back into it. Oh yeah, and I mean just chews it up, but I mean in like a real gory scene, just rat hamburger, right? Just and of course the tail just wouldn't wouldn't just you know get ripped off like it normally would it just kind of just keeps on grinding them right yeah just just grinds it into nothing right and then that's it <laughs> you know like half the town is dead there's a huge body of a rat in the picker cotton is ruined forever in this which town. the rats which the rats are now eating which is yes. a graveyard shift too because all those rats that ate it Obviously, they're all going to turn into big giant rats now. Right? Yeah, they're all eating the blood, and like that one of them, which I call the lead rat, because it kept getting all the FaceTime. Looked at him like master, you know, and then that was it. Roll credits, and yeah, and, and they, they all turned into the Jonas Brothers, and that's all that started. Yeah, and what was that weird end song <laughs> that had voiceover from the foreman? It was like a rap. What was that? I don't know. It's a great song, though. I really enjoyed the credits, <laughs> but uh, even I. I when I saw this movie though the first I I like I have like memories back when I saw this in like ninety one or ninety two whenever it was out on VHS at Pick and Save. <laughs> but uh there the ending that I saw was a little bit different. You know, after the rackets all like kinda shoot up and stuff, he kinda gains his composure and he's walking out and of course he grabs his uh time clock thing and punches himself out and then he sees the girls one and then he punches her out and then he walks out 
and then hangs up the uh, now hiring sign and walks away. Wow. And actually, I did look that up because when I saw the end of this, I'm like, I remember another scene. And sure enough, yes, that was another scene that was added on the original VHS that they took out for whatever reasons later because, I don't know, I guess George Lucas is screwing around with our Stephen King's movies. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, because that added so much more to it. I'm with you. That would have been nice to see. I guess it would have been somewhat poignant, but it ends on the rat's face, you know, and then, then the weird rap song and that's wow. Then we're at the end and I, yeah. And I'm like, wow. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm only left to wonder how this next bit is going to go. We're at the point of the podcast where it's time to give final thoughts, recommendations and popcorn ratings. What are yours for graveyard shift? Um, I can't go with a small popcorn for this. I'm actually going with a medium popcorn. Because even though this movie is not good at all, it's not a good movie, I found myself somewhat, not enjoying it, but it's watchable in a very weird way. I don't know what it is, if it's just like how everything that's bad somehow is good in a way. I don't know if that makes sense, but it's like one of these movies that's so bad it's good, I guess. It's it's, it's a clear definition for that for me. So for me, it's going to be medium popcorn. Not terrible, not the worst Stephen King movie we've watched so far. That would have to go to Silver Bullet. But it's definitely not one of the best. It's just kind of blah. Well, I feel like I'm playing your role now from the Silver Bullet podcast because I was sitting here going the whole time like, this must be how Nick felt watching Silver Bullet. I think this is one you hold up from your childhood the way I hold up silver bullet i mean i know silver bullet is terrible but it's so bad it's good and i can enjoy it i like i said for but there was no time in this movie though that you wanted the wheelchair kid to get eaten by the rat i wanted everyone to die <laughs> no 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 everyone needed to go and here's the thing is i i was watching this and i think i said it before there is at least mm, over half of this film that could be totally done away with and i was so bored with i was so bored and but i will say this i think inside of here is a nugget of like a 45 minute it, you know, episode of the Twilight Zone, Outer Limits, something like that. I think there's a one-hour story in here that got blown up to try to be an hour and twenty minutes or whatever it is. It would be a really good episode of like Monsters. Yeah, I, I, I think it is definitely like a good forty-five minute, maybe fifty-minute show in here that and i think there could be a decent fan edit of this like you just introduce everybody you get them down in the basement and get to the action and skip all the stuff in between but i can't give this thing any more than a small popcorn because it looks awful it's paced terrible and it is completely forgettable um and i oh rats i hope i never see it again so but it uh it is certain i would not say it's the worst thing we review. i would say it's it's the worst thing we reviewed so far in this retrospective but it's not the worst thing i've ever seen there are worse movies but this one is just middling uh in so many ways but oh, kinda... silver bullets worse jay silver bullets worse <laughs> We'll just have to continue to disagree on that. But I am happy to say, I think we are turning the corner here for our Stephen King retrospective because we got some really fun stuff coming up. Now, Lingoliers, Lingoliers. <laughs> you know, we had talked about before last year when we were doing this that we were going to do Creep Show as a part of this. But in retrospect and kind of looking at it, we couldn't decide if that was more Stephen King or more George Romero and some of the other collaborators. So we decided to pull that one out of the list. We're going to do Christine, the killer car. We're going to do Pet Cemetery, And then we're going to jump in and do the biggest miniseries Stephen King ever did. What many will argue is his best book, 
The Stand is going to be kind of our ender for the Stephen King retrospective that we're doing here. So I'm really looking forward to those three. I happen to think they're going to be very different reviews than what we've had so far. Maybe more back to along the lines of what we have with The Shining. Yeah, definitely. I am really looking forward to doing The Stand. It's been... I haven't seen that since it was actually out. I think it was on ABC when it first came out, you know, probably in the 90s. So I'm really, I'm a big fan of the book and I am really, really looking forward to revisiting it and seeing if it uh, holds up as a semi-decent, you know, portrayal of what uh, Stephen King's best book is. Yeah, I'm curious to see that. And I'm curious to go back to Christine and Pet Cemetery, which are genuinely concocted to be scary films. I think you could make arguments about those. It'll be neat to sort of get into some of those as we head through the better part of this retrospective. But you can listen to the other episodes in this retrospective and others at our website, continuousplaypodcast.com. Click on the film strip logo there and you'll uh, go in you can search by keyword or by series or by host and find what you want there. You can also find links to our Facebook and Twitter pages as well as our other podcasts, The Art of Slang, our Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast, and The Fabish Factor, hosted by Kurt Fabish. And Nick's been on that. I've been on that. It's a general film discussion. And you can check it all out there at our website and join us on our social media to interact with us. Let us know what you think of these films. Are we right? Are we wrong? Or who's right? Who's wrong? Or was it a rat? Was it a bat? Whatever it might be. Uh, we appreciate your support. Till next time, for Nick, I'm Jay. Thanks for listening to Filmstrip. Show's over. Thanks for listening to Filmstrip. Visit our website, continuousplaypodcast.com, for more reviews and episodes. God, this is bad. All content used or discussed in this podcast are the property of their respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act Section 504C2, Title 17. Eat them for breakfast. Raw American. This place is infested. Yeah. Maybe.